This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. And we're going to continue our Bible prophecy series. Today's message is entitled, Countdown to Armageddon. And uh, I hope and pray that you've been... uh, maybe taking some good notes and uh, you have been paying close attention to what we're saying in the, in the sermon. Today we're going to be talking about a lot of things that might be hard to believe or hard to grasp. But it's very important for you to know that I personally believe the Bible to be literal. It is the literal Word of God. And I believe the Bible to be literal from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. Now when there is a symbol in the Bible, the Holy Ghost makes it clear and plain for us to understand that something is symbolic. For example, when we take communion, the bread is symbolic of His body, The cup is symbolic of his blood. Jesus said, this do ye as oft as you will in remembrance of me. But when the Bible does not specifically point to something being symbolic, friend, you have to take it very, very literal. And the word of God is not left up to our imaginations as to what we feel ought to be there and what we feel ought not to be there. It will never be modernized for this politically correct group that we live and surround ourselves each and every day. This book, as I've said many times, written hundreds of years ago, but I can promise you it's just as current as tomorrow's newspaper. I say all of that because we're going to be looking at many scriptures today, and obviously in a study like this, I don't have time pretty much to wait for everybody to find the scriptures that we make reference to. They're listed for you today in the bulletin, and I pray that you'll take the bulletin home and go through them and find the places that we have been this morning. You simply might want to listen very attentively and take notes. I'm going to read the scriptures for you. It's good if you read them, if you had time to to quickly find them as I have already marked them. So, because the enormous amount of scripture we've got to go over today. Just listen good. Take some good notes. If you have your Bibles, open to Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse number 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
And he gathered them together in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And that's what we're speaking about today, the countdown to Armageddon. The term countdown usually begins with the number 10. But a whole lot of other things take place before that number 10 appears to be the center and focus of attention. Most of us in our lifetime have participated in the countdown at some point or another in our lives. When we were children, we were playing games and we would start with 10, 9, 8, and 7 and work ourselves down. I can remember as a little child attending school, sitting at those little wooden desks back in the early days of American space history when NASA would launch those space rockets. And there was a lot of things going on prior to that launch, but when it got down to the time of the rocket to leave, they seemed to make a huge issue about the number 10, and I could remember the kids sitting around me as they began to count it down as well. 10, 9, 8. Usually on New Year's Eve in Times Square, before the big ball drops, the world is focused on that setting, and begin to count 10, 9, 8. There's no doubt in my mind, as I think about that type of countdown, that there's no doubt in my mind that we are now in the countdown of Armageddon. Now I want you to think about that today because the signs of the times are all around us. Later this morning or this afternoon or sometime this week, you may want to get your Bible and turn and look in Matthew chapter 24, chapter 23, 24, 25. Read those chapters and notice how all of those things mentioned in those particular scriptures fit the time in which we live today. I personally believe that the rapture of the church is imminent before us. I've said many times that the word imminent means any moment. There is not one biblical prophecy that has to be fulfilled that would hinder the return of the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Nothing. Every Bible prophecy that would lead us to the rapture has been fulfilled. I want us to think about this just for a minute in, in the chronological order that these events will take place and we'll get right to the message this morning. When the rapture takes place now for the believer, immediately when the trump of God will sound, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them and we shall meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Immediately following that process when the dead are raised and we are caught up with them, we instantly receive our glorified body. We'll not be perfect in this world. None of us are perfect. None of us have ever been perfect. There has only been one set of footprints 
that have left, been left behind by a perfect man. His name was Jesus. You and I will be perfect one day when we receive a glorified body. The Word says not only will we be perfect, the Word says we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is and we shall be like Him. But we will not be like Him until we receive our glorified bodies. When we receive our glorified bodies, we're changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And then for the next three and a half years, there will be for the believer the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment will take place and it will not be a judgment for sin. We will be judged according to our works, the Bible says, whether they be good or bad. We will then receive crowns and rewards for the things that we've done in this life for the glory of God. After the first three and a half years of the judgment seat of Christ, we then go to the supper table or the banquet table. Hey, and there's a good thing to know about the dinner table in heaven. They can't eat supper till we get there. Amen. And the Lord Jesus will take us from the judgment seat to the dinner table. And there the Bible describes it to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And for the next three and a half years, we will be dining with the Lord. On the other hand, when the rapture takes place, for those who do not know Christ as their personal Savior, the Bible says they're going to be left in this world to go through a seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the marriage supper, which is the end of seven years, this world is coming to the conclusion of a seven-year tribulation period. Horrible and horrific. But at the end of the marriage supper, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, it's when Jesus Christ comes back in the revelation. When He comes in the revelation, His feet, the Bible says, will stand in that day, Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 4, and in that day his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says the mountain will cleave in two. He'll be coming down the mountain with ten thousands of his saints. We will cross the Kidron Valley. We will engage in heavenly spiritual warfare, combat against the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon. When the battle is over, we will then proceed to the eastern gate where Jesus Christ will then take his rightful place and rule and reign from the throne of David for a thousand years. But it's about this thing called the revelation. When he comes back after the marriage supper of the Lamb, after the seven years of tribulation, when he comes back, that's where we are today. Now, I want us to notice something. When we come to these particular events, when the Lord Jesus returns, where His feet stand upon the Mount of Olives, when the battle of Armageddon begins, it's important for us to know that the Antichrist has now control over the entire world. You need to remember that. It's not just a little place in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, under His leadership, he has control and authority of all the world. And listen, all of the armies of the world have allied themselves together in an all-out war against the little nation of Israel. If you were here some time ago when this series first started, 
We preached a message entitled Israel and Bible Prophecy. If you were not here in that first sermon, you need to understand that you could put the nation of Israel in the state of Florida eight times. Israel is smaller than the state of New Jersey. All of the armies of the world will one day gather and they will all simultaneously begin to march against the nation of Israel. You see, for three and a half years, the first part of the tribulation, everybody was getting along. It was all kumbaya for everybody. Muslims and Jews embraced one another for three and a half years. In fact, the Antichrist was so disillusional to the world that the Jews really believed he was the Messiah. He would now allow the Jewish people to offer sacrifices in their new temple. By the way, there will be a new temple built. There will be a third temple. The Antichrist will allow the Jewish people immediately after the rapture to offer sacrifices in their temple just like they did in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They will offer their sacrifices and the Antichrist will deceive the world. He will come in riding a white horse of peace, making himself known as a political peacemaker. The entire world will gravitate towards his eloquence, his, able, his ability to speak, to bring peace and, uh, and uh, bring stability after the commotion of the rapture. He will step out on center stage of this world and he will bring peace to the world, allowing the Jews in the temple to offer sacrifices. And for three and a half years, these Jewish people will acknowledge him. They will, they will declare that he is the Messiah. But in the middle of the three and a half years, after the first three and a half, at the middle of the seven years, after the first three and a half years have expired, the Antichrist is going to then say to the Jewish people, no longer. You are not going to offer sacrifices to God anymore. You're going to offer them to me. I am going to be your God. When the Antichrist sets himself up in the middle of the tribulation as God, then the Jewish people are going to realize immediately that they have been deceived. You see, in the middle of the three and a half years, or the middle of the seven-year tribulation period, after the seven after the first three and a half years are over, it is going to be mandatory for every person to take the mark of the beast. You're going to have to either have it in your head or your, your hand if you're left behind. Now, if you're a Christian and you're raptured out of here, you don't have to worry about any of that. But if you're not saved and you're left behind, friend, there will come a point in time in the seven years of tribulation where you must take the mark of the beast. Now the Jewish people in the middle of the seven-year tribulation will recognize immediately when the Antichrist does away with their sacrifices, forbids them to worship Jehovah in the temple. When he sets himself up as God, they will then recognize that he is not the Messiah. Israel will then refuse to worship him and to take his mark of identification. And then under severe persecution, many of the Jewish people are going to flee to the mountains and into the wilderness of Petra. The armies of the world are now marching towards Jerusalem. Now in order for God to bring all of the armies of the world together to fight against Israel, 
God has to do two specific things in order for that to happen. And I want you to see this in Revelation chapter 16, verse number 12. The first thing he has to do, he has to dry up the Euphrates River to make the passageway mobile for these armies to cross. In Revelation 16, verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And then God does something that is very unusual. And I don't have time to explain it to you today because I don't even really fully understand it myself. When I read to you what I'm getting ready to read right now, it's one of the mysteries of God. And I just have to simply rest in faith to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. I'm glad I don't have to figure God out. All I have to do is trust him. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now God will do something very mysterious in addition to drying up the Euphrates River to make way of the passageway for the armies to cross. Revelation 16 verse 13, God does something very mysterious. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them together uh, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So here's the thing. God allows three demon spirits to go out and compel these armies to join forces to march against the nation of Israel. Now why would God do that? I don't know, but that's the way that it is. Now, I want you to understand that God has allowed, by his permission, three demon spirits to go out into the world and convince and compel these armies to march together. You say, well, why would God do it? I don't know. Listen, it's just like God allowed the devil to afflict Job. Do you remember that? Here in this passage, God is going to allow, just as he did in the day of Job, God is going to allow three demon spirits to rally and cause these armies to come together. Now, it's not the first time that God has ever worked like this. And again, I don't understand it, but that's in the Bible. Turn with me, if you will. I want to show you what I'm talking about at 1 Kings chapter 22. In 1 Kings chapter 22, verse number 20, the Bible says this, And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Notice this. Go forth and do so. Now, I cannot explain to you this morning why God in this chapter gave permission for a lying spirit to operate. But you read it and I read it. God allowed the devil to afflict Job. And here, gathering the armies of the east together, marching them towards Armageddon, God is going to allow three demon spirits to speak lies to these armies 
that will unite them in battle. The Lord gave permission for a lying spirit to be a mouthpiece for Ahab and uh, so forth. Now, I want you to see something here this morning. These spirits have power to work miracles with uh, the Antichrist, and he will be able to deceive the people. Look at Revelation 16, beginning in verse 13. We read this. I want you to read it again. Revelation 16, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see a shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Now here, you got to follow this now. Watch me carefully. You have to remember, when the rapture takes place, we're going to have a sainted resurrection. Those who have died in Christ are going to be resurrected. We which are alive and remain will be caught up with them. We're going to receive glorified bodies. We'll stand at the judgment seat. We'll enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of that totaling seven years. And for the lost people left behind, it begins a seven-year process beginning with a sense of false peace. The Antichrist will make a covenant, a false covenant with Israel. After three and a half years, he is going to break that covenant and then he is going to dictate, he's going to demand that everyone receive the mark of the beast. And then the Antichrist will set himself up as God and at the end of that, he will gather the armies of the world together for one final war with Israel. Now listen carefully, Armageddon means the mountain of slaughter. You have a picture of it in today's bulletin. In 1799, the French conqueror Napoleon stood overlooking this place and he said, of all the armies of the world could maneuver their forces on this vast plain, he said, if you could take all the armies of the world, he said, all of them could maneuver in this valley. You have the picture, look at it yourself. Now it's understandable this morning because when you consider the geographical dimensions of Armageddon, Listen carefully. It is 200 miles long and 10 miles wide. You have to remember that. In this battle, the battle of Armageddon, Jerusalem will be surrounded by the armies of the world. They have gathered in the picture area that you're looking at in your bulletin. They have gathered together today. Now I want you to see this in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. And I want you to notice with me beginning with verse number 4. The Bible says this, And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, or who is modern-day Iran, Ethiopia and Libya, which is now northern Africa, with them, all of them with the shield and helmet, Gomer or Germany, all of his bands, the house of Tugamar, that's Turkey, of the north quarters, and all his bands and many people with thee. 
Now it's important to understand that these armies are determined once and for all to wipe God's chosen people off of the face of the earth. Now I want you to know something. There are people, there are countries today that have no desire to see Israel survive as a nation. There are Palestinians, there are Muslims, especially Iran, uh, that, that believe that Israel should be wiped off of the face of this earth. Now you and I don't believe that, and, and thank God there are some other countries in this present day that do not believe this, but one day, friend, there are three demon spirits that is going to infiltrate this world, convincing all of the armies of human population that Israel has no longer a right to exist and they're going to come against her. And just when they think they have succeeded and think that they have met uh, the match with God, listen, God then has everything in place. God then has everything set. I want you to notice Revelation 16 and verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And listen, God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is compassionate and he's merciful. But I will tell you this, that in all of that, God is working on a time schedule. We don't know it. We can't figure it out. The Bible says even pertaining to the second coming. Don't try to figure out the day nor the hour. The word says that we don't know it. The angels in heaven don't know it. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. But we are living and breathing on God's time schedule. God has it already worked out from the beginning to the end. He is the beginning and the end. He's got it all worked out. Now listen. He knows that those seven years is going to take the world through a seven-year tribulation. He knows that for the Christian, we're going to have the judgment seat and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then he's got to do this. He's got to step out and breathe that drought in the Euphrates to make possible for these armies of the east to come and pass and go toward Jerusalem. And then God has got to allow three demon spirits to be unleashed in the world that is going to entice all the armies to rally and then march across that dry riverbed in the Euphrates and gather themselves towards Jerusalem. When God does all of that, when he has dried the Euphrates and all of the armies are marching, now God has the whole thing set the stage is set and then that's when God says notice the latter part of verse 17 it is done do you see that that kind of reminds me of what Jesus said on the cross in John's gospel chapter 19 verse 30 when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar he said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost I want you to understand something friend when Jesus died on the cross and he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. Listen carefully. Redemption for the soul of man had been completed and the ransom was paid in full. Now listen carefully to this. Listen very carefully. There is absolutely nothing that can ever be added to salvation. Nothing. Salvation cannot be improved in the 21st century. Listen to this. Salvation cannot be modernized. Salvation cannot be rearranged. There is no money. There is no power. There is no work. 
The world is trying to get to heaven by their good works. The world is full of crazy notions on how a person gets to heaven. I don't know how many of you know this, but Orthodox Jewish people believe this. They believe that if they believe that there are three things that an Orthodox Jewish person needs to do to go to heaven. I don't know how many of you know this or not. But from an Orthodox perspective, they believe this. This is God's chosen people. Do you remember what the word says? He came unto his own and his own received him not. To this day, they have rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. To this day, they're looking for a Messiah. To this day, listen, and when the Antichrist comes in with all of these deceiving miracles and allows them to do all of these things, they're going to acknowledge him as the Messiah. They have rejected Jesus Christ. Today, the Jewish people believe three things will get them to heaven. They believe, number one, that if they do good deeds. Number two, they believe that if they are successful in business. And then number three, they believe if they set up three couples for marriage. If you combine all of these three things together... Orthodox Jewish people believe this is the criteria, these are the credentials that is needed to get a person into heaven. God's chosen people. Praise God. Listen. Salvation cannot be rearranged. Salvation cannot be modernized. Listen, I want us to know this morning that there is absolutely nothing. There is no good deed on this earth that we can do that will get us one baby step toward heaven. Friend, today, listen, we are not worthified. Thank God we are justified by His grace. Somebody say amen. He said on the cross, it is finished. And now here in the valley of Jezreel, the battle of Armageddon, He says, it is done. The Lord is about to do forever away with the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. And listen carefully, never before in all of human history has there ever been such an upheaval that is about to take place now. Revelation 16, I want you to notice verse 18. Revelation 16, verse number 18. The Bible says this, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Listen, this is the battle. This is what's going to take place in the battle of Armageddon. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give up or give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now listen carefully. I did a little research in this talent thing that the Word is talking about, the stone, every stone about the weight of a talent. You understand what's happening? In this battle, there are huge stones falling out of heaven, falling upon men. Now listen, a Jewish talent, listen carefully, a Jewish talent of silver weighed 115 pounds. Listen to this. 
All other Jewish talents weighed 135 pounds. Egyptian talents weighed 86 pounds. But in Antioch, the talents weighed 390 pounds. Now, I did that research for one reason. Because the Bible says that in this battle, these great stones of talents are going to fall. So the very least of the weight of these talents or these stones, the very least would be 86 pounds. But notice this, I believe that God is going to allow this hailstorm to be the worst of the worst because of the latter part of verse 21 in Revelation 16. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone, about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. I don't believe God's going to let the 86-pounders fall. I believe God's going to let the 390-pounders fall. Because the Bible says the plague thereof was exceeding great. Not minimum, not moderate, but exceeding great. I don't know how many of you remember this, but on February the 18th, just a few days ago, a huge meteor fell out of the sky and landed in Texas. I don't know how many of you saw that on the news. Friend, I'm telling you, that's exactly what's going to be happening. It ha it's happening now. But when this takes place, it's going to be falling like snow. Now, Revelation chapter 16, verse 20. Notice this, and every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. This is, this is what's happening now. Islands are going to disappear. Mountains are going to disappear. Huge boulders of hail are going to be falling on men everywhere. Now notice Revelation chapter 9, if you will. Revelation chapter 9, and I want to begin reading in verse 1 and read through 10. Follow with me carefully. Revelation 9, beginning in verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from, fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke, look now, locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now listen, there are going to be people saved in the tribulation who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That is a result of the two witnesses. From their preaching, 144,000 are going to be saved. And from the ministry of the 144,000, millions are going to be saved. They're going to be sealed with the seal of God, just, just like in the opposite perspective of a person taking the mark of the beast in their forehead. Now, these people, these are tribulation saints now. Notice this. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when it striketh a man. In those days, listen to this, look at it carefully, shall men seek death and shall not find it. You see, people are going to try to die. Can you imagine somebody trying to commit suicide in the most unbelievable graphic ways 
and going through the motions and the antics and the actions and then not being able to die. This is what the Bible says. They're going to seek death. And the Bible says, and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And the shape of the locusts were likened to horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and they were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men, uh, notice that, five months. Now think about this. All of these horrific events, friend, I'm not making it up, and this is not a figment of God's imagination. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a Cinderella story. I'm telling you, these things are going to happen. Men will seek death and not be able to find it. The Word says that Jerusalem will be shaken into three parts. Revelation 16, verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. All of the cities, Jerusalem will be shaken into three parts, but all of the cities, according to that verse, is going to be shaken into, into ruin. Can you imagine Rome and Cairo and London and New York? You would think at this point men would be calling upon the name of Jesus, but they curse him instead. One of the most important things for the Christian to remember is that the battle of Armageddon cannot begin until seven years after the rapture. Friend, that's going to be a battle like none other. I want you to see this in Revelation 14 verse 20. In Revelation 14, verse 20, the Bible says this, And the winepress was trodden without the city. And notice, notice the effect, the result of Armageddon. And the blood came out of the winepress, even up to the horse's bridles, by the space of 2,600 furlongs. So here's what I want you to know. In the battle of Armageddon, Blood is going to flow in that valley. Now, Armageddon means the house of slaughter. The picture that you're looking at in your bulletin, it's taken in the valley of Jezreel, the valley of Megiddo. So here's what I want you to remember. That in the valley of Jezreel, Megiddo, where the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought, you have to remember, all the armies of the world have gathered. They have gathered to do battle against the nation of Israel. When the Lord Jesus comes back and the pandemonium of this battle begins, the Bible says there is going to be blood flowing in the valley of Jezreel 200 miles long, 10 miles wide, and up to the horse's bridle. Six feet deep. Now I want you to think about the stones falling and the, and the locusts and all of these beasts that come out of the bottomless pit. 
The stage has been set. I want us to understand when we leave here today that this prophecy, my friend, will take place. Everything that we've read to you this morning will take place and in the climax of the fulfillment of this prophecy, when it appears that Israel has no earthly armies at her side, the one true ally that she has always had, her very own true Messiah is going to save her from destruction. Every single day that passes by, listen carefully, the world is getting closer to the end. The countdown to Armageddon has begun. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.